All right, good morning, everyone. It's uh, lovely to see you. My name is Peter, and it's a privilege to be here today to share from the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God, we believe, is inspired by Him, and it's a gift to us. And so, um, so let's pray. Let's pray for a moment. Dear Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for Advent this season when we prepare for Christmas. We thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to hear from you. Lord, I pray use even this cracked and broken vessel to share something, Lord God, of the reality and the truth that you have for us this day. And we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Okay, well today, um, on the news sheet it says uh, we're going to be talking about the kings. Well, actually, I've, I've put the title, The Visit of the Magi. And um, today we're looking at um, this famous passage that we know very well. Many of us, I think, we know the passage very well. And uh, it's looking at this time after Jesus was born uh, in Bethlehem and during the time of King Herod. And uh, we've got the passage here. And so let me uh, launch straight into the first few verses. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So we're jumping ahead a little bit today, aren't we? Because today is the fourth Sunday of Advent and uh, it's this time of preparation, this time of waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. We are looking forward to Jesus. And this morning, Joe had uh, the kids came and lit the candles. We've got the four Advent candles lit on the Advent wreath. And the final one will be lit on uh, Christmas Eve, I think, isn't it? Christmas Eve, the final one will be lit. Um, and we're in this period of time preparing for Christmas, so we are jumping ahead a little bit. But uh, two weeks ago, Rupert took us through the genealogy of Jesus at the start of Matthew's Gospel. And the Jews were anticipating the coming Messiah. And um, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, uh, the father of Isaac, we read in that list of names that Rupert took us through, all these names uh, which are the patriarchs of the Jewish people. And we get the sense that it was the whole Old Testament was looking forward to this event, this event that now was happening. Last week, John, John Salters took us, we looked at Joseph, and Joseph betrothed to Mary, of whom was born Mary, uh, who was born Jesus. And Joseph belonged to the house of David, and Bethlehem was where King David had been born. And so, when Herod calls together the chief priests and teach the law, and asks them, in verse 4, he says to them, um, uh, he says, they, they say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And Herod, when he heard this, he was disturbed. He called together his chief priests and teachers. He asked them where the Christ was to be born. And they replied, in Bethlehem, in Judea. And they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, let Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah. Could, Terry, could we have up the passage from the Matthew 
would that be possible? On the screen. Yeah, thank you. But you, Judah, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So in this story today, we've got certain key actors. And thank you. If we can just go back to the uh, slide. Yeah, we've got certain key actors. The first of the key actors is, of course, the Magi. And, um, you know, we're going to be looking at them, talking about them. Who were they? Where were they from? And then we have King Herod. And um, we'll be looking at him. And then, of course, we have not a human actor, but a celestial one. The star was so important in our story. And finally, we'll be looking at the one born, the king of the Jews. So what of the Magi? Who on earth were they? Were these guys? Um, we see the images so this morning. The postman yesterday, I think, left a, our Christmas card on, on, a car wind, on our car windscreen. So I opened this rather da- wet Christmas card. I think the co- must have been a bit of a hurry and just put the, dumped the card on the windscreen. So I opened it, and sure, sure enough, it was like this. There was a picture of three kings coming to the baby Jesus in the manger with Joseph and Mary. I mean, here they're quite out in the open. They haven't even got a stable. But normally, there they are. They're in the stable. And there's the food trough, which was a manger, and also the farm animals. You know, usually there's a donkey, there's some sheep, there's some camels. And um, also, of course, um, uh, Mary and Joseph. But if you look in more detail at today's narrative, all we have is Joseph and Mary, Mary in a house, not a stable. So while the pictures here suggest they were kings, uh, the passage from Psalms may have been a clue to that. We read in Psalm 72... Uh, which Liz read for us, and it says in Psalm 72, uh, which is maybe a coronation psalm for King Solomon. And from this psalm, it tells us that um, the king of Israel um, will endure as long as the sun. He said he will rule from sea to sea. The kings of Tarshish and distant shores will bring tribute to him and will present him with gifts. All kings will bow to him and all nations will serve him. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. So maybe from that psalm, from those ideas, the idea the Magi were kings came about, because there's no evidence. It doesn't say that they were actually kings. And yet Psalm 72 is very much one talking about the Messiah, talking about the Deliverer, the Saviour for the people of Israel. And so when we talk about the Magi, What does it mean? The Greek word magis, uh, one of the translations says they were wise men. Uh, There's a translation by this guy, Eugene Peterson, he calls them scholars. And they were probably astrologers, studying in some way the positions and movements of the stars, and linked to the belief that the stars and their movements influence events on Earth. Now, Andy Wheeler, I don't know if you know of Andy Wheeler, who was the uh, pastor, the missions pastor in St. Saviour's Church, in a lovely book about, about the, 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 the uh, Magi. And he thinks they came from Stesiphon, which, is, uh, which was the western capital of one of the, um, the, the Persian Parthian empires, modern-day Iran, Iraq. And that he says they were not, in fact, wise. He calls them astrologers, sorcerers, pagan priests, diviners. And in Daniel chapter 7, uh, chapter 2, Daniel refers to Magi as well when, do you remember, that Daniel was taken prisoner in Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and they found that this young guy Daniel could interpret dreams. And 
the king said to Daniel, are you able to tell me what my dreams mean? And Daniel said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And so the perception of the Magi, their different views about who they were, what they were like. Um, but certainly what we can say about them is that they came from the east. And um, this picture here is from a 6th century mosaic, and they're shown wearing Persian clothing, and at the top, you can't see it very well, but it's got Balthazar, Melchior, and Caspar. It's got the three names of the Magi. Where does that come from? There's no biblical evidence that that's their names, but there's been a lot of tradition. The only reference in the Bible to the Magi is in these few verses in Matthew that we've been reading. It says they are Magi from the east, um, and we know that, were there three? Three. We don't even know that there were three. The reason we say three is because there were three gifts. The gold, the myrrh, and the frankincense. So they come to Herod, and they ask, where is the one to be born king of the Jews? And this makes it pretty clear they were not Jews themselves. And this is a very key point about the Magi. They came not, they were not Jewish people. And although Matthew writes his gospel, especially with the Jewish people in mind. Remember, he was talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, talking about this, the patriarchs of Israel. Um, in fact, Matthew is very aware of a bigger global picture. And um, he's thinking about the world beyond the Jewish nation. Remember that in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it is Matthew who records Jesus' words, where he says, um, uh, go and make disciples of all nations. All we can say about the Magi is that in their journey, their courage, their faith in this incredible venture to find this baby, you can imagine it, um, he shows that, um, that actually there were people outside the Jewish diaspora who were drawn to Christ, drawn to what God's purpose in his world was. Um, and one writer has written that in Christ, the gracious invitation of God was always present in Israel's history. And it goes out to all nations reaching beyond the barriers of ethnicity, religion, culture to welcome them in. So the Magi come to Jerusalem, which was the Jewish capital, and they make an appointment to see King Herod. And Herod receives them. And they ask him, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And remember, he takes these words from the words of Micah, but you, Bethlehem, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. So Herod, let's just have a moment to look at Herod. So I don't know if this is actually a real statue of him, um, but I googled Herod and there's lots and lots of statues of Herod. <laughs> um, but he's left, a, there's a lot of evidence of Herod in um, archaeology. There's tons of it. He was raised as a Jew, um, but many Jews were suspicious of him because he actually was an Edomite, which I looked that up, and that means he was a descendant of Esau, who was not from the line of Jacob. So he wasn't the pure line that the people of Israel saw there heritage coming from. Remember, Esau was the older brother, Jacob was the younger one, and Jacob uh, deceived Esau to get the blessing from Abraham. And so they didn't have a good view of Herod, generally speaking, the people of Israel. 
Another point that historians note is that Herod, where did he get his power from? And it was actually, although his title was King of Judea, he got his title, he got his power from the Romans. And um, in 40 BC, the Roman Senate gave him the title King of Judea. And he used the Roman power for his own ruthless ambition. He squeezed as much tax as possible from the long-suffering local population. And he paid for lavish building projects, like, of course, famously the temple in Jerusalem, which he rebuilt. But interestingly, he didn't only build that temple. There are three other temples that archaeologists think he made. Now, this is a reconstruction using foundations. He built three other temples, and they were dedicated to Caesar. So you can imagine he wasn't like purely devoted to the God of Abraham. He covered his bets. He was an absolute ruthless leader. He murdered his wife. He murdered at least two of his sons. And not just that, but we know also that one of the dark shadows of the Christmas story is that Herod gave the command to murder the, the baby boys in Bethlehem. And so we can imagine when the Magi come to Herod and they say to him, where's the one who's been king, born king of the Jews? He's a little bit perturbed because he said, well, actually, I am the king of the Jews. How are these guys coming to look for the king of the Jews? That's me. And so, but he kept it very much to himself. Notice that he met the Magi in secret and he met them in secret, which is quite revealing to me, because um, in Ephesians 5, chapter 11, it says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And just the deeds of darkness, where the devil is at work, we know that God is the God of light, and yet Herod met them in secret. This picture suggests it's in darkness. He wasn't wanting to be open about what was going on because he had anxiety about this, that his power would be threatened. So as we look and prepare for the Christmas story, we are aware, aren't we, that our world is a world of darkness. There's so much darkness in our world. I mean, it's kind of maybe no coincidence that just recently the rockets that have been landing in Ukraine to destroy the electrical infrastructure of power stations have left the country in darkness. Isn't that sort of symbolic of the, the evil that is in, at work in our world today? And yet the purposes of God are good. He is the God of the big picture. The Magi are not intimidated, although some say he, they weren't that wise. I think actually they were pretty wise because they... Um, they had this dream, and they decided not to go. They warned not to go back to Herod, but to return by a different route. So although we do not know exactly what the Magi believed, what they did about this child, God's perfect plan was working through. His perfect plan for humanity, his perfect plan for the salvation of the world was being worked through, through, the gen through these Gentiles as they courageously continued on their journey. And we don't know what was the trigger. What was the trigger? Well, we do know what the trigger was for their journey. The trigger was, of course, going the wrong way. There we are. The trigger was, of course, the star. So there we are. The star. So one commentator just mentioned about this quite interestingly, saying about the words they came from the east. They saw the star at the east, and noting that the word east in Hebrew also means rising, 
suggests it's the star at its rising, because if the uh, Magi had seen the star in the east, they would have gone to India or China. Well, of course, they didn't. They traveled west to um, Jerusalem. And they were drawn like some magnetic force drew them to this star. And whatever the, the cause of this incredibly bright star, um, we, we know that it drew them towards Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, rather. Now, what was the star? Some have suggested it was some kind of um, so, supernova, that's a short-lived, bright, brilliant star. Some of you are scientists here, you know more about this than, than I do. Was it an imploding star or an exploding star coming to the end of its life? Was it um, a, a comet, like um, uh, some kind of Halley's Comet? You know, Halley's Comet, I think before the Battle of Hastings, Halley's Comet was seen and they thought it was a new star, meant a new king. Um, but um, in fact, that one, there was no evidence from the historical records that such a star like a supernova was seen or that there'd been a comet uh, at that time. Um, a third idea was somehow a, a conjunction of planets. Was it a conjunction of planets where two planets would come together and it looked, it gave a huge bright light in the sky? Was that what was going on? Um, and there is sometimes Jupiter and Saturn come together as very bright. But it may pure and simply have been a divine, miraculous event that the God of the universe, who made the stars at the creation, created this moving star without any natural cause or origin. Whatever the cause was, they journeyed, they went the six miles, it's only about five or six miles. I, I mean, some of you have been, I know, John, you've been to Bethlehem, haven't you? And a number of you may have been there. And just know it's actually a very short distance, I think, isn't it, between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Well, they went the short distance there, and they found the house, not the stable, and um, as they got there, um, they mentioned only the child. And what did they do when they got there? It tells us here. And it says, um, when they actually got there, on coming to the house, verse 11, could we just have the text for a moment, Terry? On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and they worshipped him. When they came to the house, I'll say one more time, they bowed down and they worshipped him. They worshipped him. And they knew that this was the king of the Jews. Maybe they didn't know that much about him. And they presented three gifts. And, um, you know, we think about gifts. They, they, what were the three gifts? Well, we know what three gifts. There was the gold. There was the gold. There was the frankincense. Here's a picture of the three. This is from a, a Chinese artist called Hei Chi. And you can see the three gifts were there. The gold. Why the gold? Well, King Solomon in his palace had articles. All the cups were pure gold. So gold for a king. He had the, they gave the frankincense. It was a kind of sap from the frankincense tree. It's used to make incense in the Middle East and, and, and perfume. And the gift reminds us of the anointing of a king. And, you know, we, we, we were talking last year about the anointing of, of Queen Elizabeth, remembering at the Jubilee. And, and next year there'll be the, the coronation of Charles, King Charles, who will be anointed. It'll be interesting to see what happens on that front, won't it? But the queen was anointed with oil. And it also is a symbol, I think, of the incense of worship in the Holy of Holies. Remember that Zechariah in, in Luke's Gospel went to the Holy of Holies and it was his role to light the incense for the worship of God. And there he saw the angel. So the incense of worship, the worship of the God of creation. So Jesus, incense for worship. And finally, myrrh. 
and myrrh again from the sap of the myrrh tree, and, um, which apparently grows in Arabia in that area. It was used as a perfume, but also was used for um, embalming dead bodies for the spices. And um, we read about that at, in, uh, when Nicodemus, Nicodemus, the end of John's Gospel, Nicodemus had come to him by night, came, but after crucifixion, he brings this huge amount, 100 pounds of spices to embalm the body of Jesus. And within that was myrrh. So the, bur- the myrrh reminds us that this baby Jesus in Bethlehem would grow, grow into adolescence and adulthood and fulfill the plans of the Father. As uh, Nicola was saying, the God sent his son in human form. His son came down to this earth and uh, he would suffer death. He would be buried and he would carry the sins of the world on his shoulders. And as the dispirited, cowering disciples, remember they'd seen Jesus, they'd seen him executed, they were cowering in the upper room, they had witnessed his arrest and they'd run away in fear, they'd witnessed his death. But after the burial, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to the tomb with spices to anoint his body, seeing a man in white, he said, why do you look for the dead, for the living rather, among the dead? He has risen, he has risen. And this amazing reality of uh, the resurrection account we read of in the end of Luke's gospel. And why are you looking for the living among the dead? He has risen. And um, they actually went with, you know, there we are, Um, He's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Uh, And then they remembered his words. And uh, later on, in the same chapter of chapter 24 of of Luke, uh, it, it tells us that Jesus, while they were still talking about this, Jesus came and he stood among the disciples and he said to them, peace be with you. And why are you troubled? And while they, he said, do not touch me. And do you have anything to eat? And then he said, this is what I told you when I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled. What is written about me and the prophets must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to the scriptures. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will preach to his name to all nations. And so we read this amazing reality that these three gifts, what do they remind us of? They remind us of the reality of what Christ has done. And those same dispirited, defeated disciples witness the risen Christ. What is their response? Their response is that actually they went to share and preach the gospel, and many of them actually gave their lives as martyred for their witness to the resurrection of Jesus. It's one of the biggest testimonies, I think, of the reality of the resurrection from such a contrast such incredible contrast. And so when we think about what actually happened, we think about Christ's coming. Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So there's that passage from Philippi, just the position of Christ, what was going on here. This was God's eternal plan of salvation for the world. The Magi went to worship Christ. Herod wanted to kill Christ. The star pointed the way to Christ. The final actor in the narrative, of course, the entire focus is the one that we're reading about last week. Uh, and John mentioned this as well. But uh, the very beginning of John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So today, when we look at the story of the Magi, we see light and darkness. We see light and darkness. We see the contrast of the two. And when we look about light, where is the light today in our world, we think, where is the light? Do you feel that sometimes? You look around yourself and say, where on earth is the light of Christ? We, you know, sometimes I ask myself that question. And I think today, even hearing at the beginning, Sarah talking about rooted, isn't that the light? Christ coming into young people, drawing them together where they can do discipleship, they can learn about each other, learn from each other, have a mentor, have a leader. Another form of light I was reading about you know, the 10 most persecuted nations in the world, if you look at the Open Doors website, uh, number eight or nine of those is Iran. And uh, 20 years ago in Iran, there were between five and 10,000 people who had been from a Muslim background who came to meet with Christ, who are now Christians. Today, there are between 800,000 and 1 million people who used to Come out, who came out of Islam and now have a faith in Christ. Almost a million people. The light of Christ is working in some of the toughest places in our world. That is the reality of it. So what does this mean for us? Jesus said in uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Is that your experience? Is that your experience? Of course, we know there is tremendous darkness, there is tremendous evil in our world, but we have the light of Christ. And is our experience one that we're going through a tough, it seems like a dark period at this time. It seems like, and yet Christ says, I am the light, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. How come, Lord, it seems I'm in a dark place? What is the Lord saying to us? What is the Lord saying? And I believe that God wants to break through. We don't understand his purposes. We know that Christ come, has come. We're in this in-between period. One day Christ will come again. And we're in that in-between period, aren't we? They're just, they're not yet. I've got the, anyway, we're, we, 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 Jesus has come. We're waiting for him to come back, all right? He's already come, but it's not yet finished. And in, in that in-between period, there's still darkness. And so I just want to pray today for us as a church that we will be lights. What is our position? What is, what is the 
the message God has from this text. I think one message is the Magi brought gifts to Jesus, the Messiah. What is the gift that God wants us to bring to him this Christmas? What is the gift? What is the gift? It might just be a gift of, it might be a financial gift, it might be a gift of talent, it might just be complete surrender. I don't know. So do we have a gift for, for the, 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 the Messiah this Christmas? And the second one is how. How can we see the light of Christ in our life and in our world? And if we're in a dark place at this time, maybe we, we just are praying that God's light will come touch us in a very deep way because we don't seem to feel it at this time. But God's golden thread through our life, he's leading us to himself, his purposes are perfect. He wants to lead us and show us the way. And he, in him there is hope, there is life, and there is light. Through any challenge or problem, the Lord wants to take us through that situation. So we're going to just stop for a moment. So if I just ask, could we please stand for a moment? And uh, let's just wait on the Lord for a moment and just see what is, is there something from today's message um, that uh, God is saying to you today, saying to me today, is there something in this message that deep down you feel God is speaking to me? And if there is something, I'd like you just to close your eyes, and if there's something in the message, something, even through this not very polished sermon that has touched you today, I'd like you just to put up your hand. Just close your eyes. If there's something in this message which has touched you, just put up your hand. And just put up your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I just, yeah, just put up your hand. And would you, I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, you, you, you can put your hands down now, but thank you. Lord Jesus, I just pray this morning that you touch the lives of each and every one of us but especially those of us who feel that we wanted to put up our hand, or we did put up our hand. You want to touch our lives. You want to remind us, Lord, that you came into this world to bring light into darkness. And whatever needs we have at this time, Lord Jesus, we pray that you will meet with us today. You will meet with us today. And uh, it may be that uh, some of you, someone may like to go over to the area on the left, um, the enclosed area on the left of the church over there, left of me, on your right, um, and, and just have uh, someone pray for you today. It may be that you've never ever thought about Christ as your saviour, and you might like to invite him into your heart. And if, you, if you'd like prayer for that at all, then of course, um, ask Tom or one of the leaders to pray for you. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word, we thank you for your power. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. And we thank you, Lord God, that you came down to this earth. You came down to this earth and you suffered for our sakes and you rose again. And Lord, we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. <laughs>